This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already should know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 37. I am John DiCarlo, joined today by Sam Cohen. And Dante Colinelli. What's going on, guys? How are you? Fantastic. I feel like we haven't, the three of us have not been on Zoom together. And it feels like a while. It's been like two weeks, if that, a week or two, but it, it feels does feel like, like a while. Been, it feels like it's been a while. Yeah. So what you're saying crazy? is like maybe it's better, like all due respect to Kyle, Javon, and Caden, that maybe you just like you just needed some more time with Dante and I. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> that's that's how I'm uh, that's how I think that's what I know. <laughs> not holding back you love it maybe that's why they said they couldn't make it maybe behind my back you just said can you just just i i want this week to just be about the three of us and you guys just take a back seat i i think i came into this pod knowing like today's kyle's birthday we're gonna talk about it let's just like slander kyle for an hour <laughs> well kyle, it's funny you say that he's not here to defend himself so he's not oh, he's doing his him. best he's doing his best to defend himself because you know again like is the, he in the waiting the, room I don't believe he is. No, um, he did log on earlier and then just is not here. So I don't know. I don't know what crazy stuff he's got going on for his birthday, but being the prepared podcasters that we are, you know, we have our, our script every week, share it on Google docs and Kyle, you know, it pretty much said, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it. It's his birthday. Totally get it. But Kyle took the, <laughs> took the, you know, took the initiative to add some stuff in. So under intro this is all him i'm just gonna just for all of you who are listening this is exactly what kyle wrote in outline form a it's kyle's birthday a1 kyle is now 33 which is how old chris farley john belushi and nipsey hustle were when they died a2 everybody say what they like about kyle a3 if money wasn't an issue what gift would you give kyle for his birthday (laughs) so kyle is i mean i don't hate him for it we can we can we can we can talk about these things and and then get into the the issues at hand. A couple of of transfer additions for Temple football. We'll talk about the basketball roster. We've got some mailbag questions, but I think I have some answers. Yeah, I do. I do too. I I, I do like. Well, I mean, as we discussed before we started recording, a one here, a little dark. You know, Kyle's now thirty three. It's how old Chris Farley, Belushi, and Nipsey Hussle were. It's kind of like the what's the other like. There were a bunch of people who died when they were 27, right? Like Kurt Cobain, Jim Morrison. It was either 26 yeah. or 27. So this is similarly dark. I don't know if Kyle is trying to, you know, kind of humble brag here and saying, oh, I'm as important as Chris Farley, John Belushi, Nipsey Hussle. Love you, buddy. I don't know if I would hold you in that regard, but who's this? I'm say? curious. I'm curious. And as someone who is terrible with our numbers game that we play on this podcast, um, do we think, and Kyle's a smart guy, so I wouldn't put it past him if he didn't, but do we think he looked up people who died at 33 and these are the three names that came up? Uh, or do we think I, he just knew this and he put it down. Fair question, but I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here. He he knows his, he knows his history, he knows his pop yeah. culture. I'm going to give him this and say that at the very least he knew or had an inkling and then he, he fact-checked it yeah. so he could have his, have his receipts. Yeah. And he's kept himself in, in good shape. So I don't see him going the Chris Farley route. I don't think he's been on <laughs> major drug benders like John Belushi. Um, 
I just don't. I don't think. I don't think he's made enough enemies. Like, because wasn't Nipsey Hustle shot outside of like his store? I, I don't think he's. I don't think he's made enough enemies that someone would shoot Kyle. No, I don't think I don't so. Like... He's not even. I look. I mean, he he has his his. Enemies. What about what about that camel? He's always trying to fight. That's a different story. And that is, yeah. That camel might shoot Kyle. <laughs> that camel. Is... John, you don't remember Kyle's rant about trying to fight a camel outside of his house? Oh, that's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that was more so. I mean, like on Twitter, he doesn't even really like, you know, his whole philosophy is mute and move on, M A M O. So he's not even the type to like instigate people on Twitter. So I, mean, I could see, like, I could see like one of us getting into Twitter beef, him coming to the owl scoop, defensive owl scoop, and then that being the, the cause of a fight for Kyle, but yeah, I don't, but we're I don't not there see. yet. We do expect him to be back next week alive and well. Yes. We're not, we're spending there. too much time talking about a one. Yeah. So, you know, he's 33 years old. His Larry bird birthday. God bless him. Everybody say what they like about Kyle. <laughs> Can I say something? Sure. You don't have to raise your hand. Go ahead. My favorite thing about Kyle is if I cold call him, or if I text him Kyle or like quick question, his immediate response every time is, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how important or unimportant this question is, his answer is, oh, no. Um, two other Kyle things. One, uh, today he made fun of me because I sent a text in our group chat that apparently I sent almost the exact same text verbatim about a month yep. and a half ago. Yes. And, he, and I forgot about it. So he made fun of me for that. Yeah. Um, but Kyle also being, uh, I found out that Kyle was really good at tech last year. Mm -hmm. I did, uh, I forget what it was for. No, you know what? I take it back. I, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. I did an interview with Shiz, with Shiz Alston for something. Mm -hmm. Talked for like 20 minutes. We all know Shiz is fantastic. And then for whatever reason in my voice memos app, or like when I downloaded it or something. I remember this. Yeah. Disappeared, gone. And Kyle went to the lengths of the earth to try to recover it for me. Spent all afternoon trying to recover it for me. We spent a ton of time on FaceTime and him going through my computer. And so one, that was very nice of Kyle to do. That's like nice guy, Kyle. First thing that comes to mind. And two, that he's good at tech. Dante. <laughs> it's hard to follow up that. I don't have that many personal stories. I appreciate how petty Kyle is. You know, I, I aspire to be as petty as Kyle is. Kyle is the king of having receipts. He doesn't always post them online, right? You know, he has his mute and move on, but that is not how the group chat works. Our personal group chat. Kyle sends the receipts in that group chat and yeah. we get to laugh at them. And I appreciate that. He holds, so us, I, he, he holds us accountable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, I very much appreciate that uh, about Kyle. And I also appreciate how quick he is to get very obscure temple statistics. Uh, there yeah. are, there is a Kyle Gauss tweet for almost every obscure temple statistic that I could possibly think of. So the, those true. are the top two off, off the top of my head. Yeah. He's uh I can just hear, I can just feel his head expanding as he listens to this, if he listens to this. Which he won't. He'll he say, won't. like, in the weeks that I'm not on, I, sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't. Like, thank you for being engaged. Thank you for being <laughs> I mean, I have known him since at least, what, 2010. And he essentially replaced my former assistant editor, Mike Modric, who's just one of the best human beings in the world. Mike's now a 
uh, a professor at your college, a sports communication professor. And we hired Kyle as an intern and he came in and, and wore a shirt and tie for his interview. I think I've said this before. And we said, yeah, we were really impressed that you wore a shirt and tie. And he said, why wouldn't I? I was like, you'd be surprised how many people show up in t-shirts and shorts and stuff. And so I've known him ever since we were, we were roommates for a year in 2011 in South Philly when I bought my house. This was before he moved in with his now wife, Meg, who's just a lovely human being. I, what do I like most about Kyle? Probably, I mean, he's got a great sense of humor and he knows, he knows when he's cut you, <laughs> like he'll, I mean, how, like we, we've got to take, <laughs> we've got to take a road trip in the fall. Even if you guys are working somewhere else, I'll just be like, bring you guys back as freelancers for the week. We'll cover Duke. We'll do Deal. something. Let's do it. And we were, I can't remember if this was the BC game, the Notre Dame game. I don't know. We were talking about something and he just, he's riding shotgun. He looks at me, he goes, why are you the way you are? <laughs> started laughing. And then I just laughed it off. And then like a few minutes later, I hear, Hey, I look over and he just does the heart thing on his chest <laughs> as if to say, sorry. <laughs> so, and he also, this is another thing I like about Kyle. One of the things he likes to do is when we take long football road trips, if we drive, he will take, I still have my original iPod or whatever recent, I lose that term, use that term loosely, iPod that I have, just plug it in with the USB thing in my car. He will explore the depths of my music collection. And instead of saying, there's some old stuff on here, there's some yacht rock on here, there's this or that. He will delve into it. He will give your music a chance. And he had never heard this is like, you know, this is like, I'm a child of the eighties. So I, uh, I have, I don't know why soft spot for the song, Neil Diamond, not coming to America, not sweet Caroline. Neil Diamond had a song on the ET soundtrack called Heartlight, and Kyle finds it on my iPod. And I was like, Oh God. And he starts <laughs> playing and he goes, I was like, you can change that. He's like, shh, shh. <laughs> no, we're going to hear this out. And he played it later in the trip. This might have been, it was either a Penn State trip or Notre Dame. And it didn't take long. He's like, I'm not gonna lie, I'm legitimately fond of this song. So that's awesome. He will give your music, he'll give your music a chance. So good. Yeah. So uh if money wasn't an issue, what gift would you give Kyle for his birthday? Well, I've been trying to think of something while you were talking. This is tough. This is tough. Uh Jim Bayheim's personal email address. Oh, <laughs> wow. There yeah. you go. That, that was a good one. Yeah, that's like a, that's a priceless one for Kyle. Again, for, I background, feel for background there, Kyle was very bitter about the fact that, oh God, that was 2012-ish. We all went up to cover. That was the game Khalif where- Wyatt Khalif Wyatt at Square Garden. Outplayed Michael Carter-Williams. Temple beats, you know, Syracuse two or three days before Christmas. Bayheim was- as condescending as he typically is. And Kyle just has never forgotten that. And we were recording a few years ago and Kyle just bleepity bleep, like just said a bunch of stuff about Bayheim that we had to bleep out. It's, it's something that we enjoy here. I would Tyler, uh, Tyler, Jesus, Kyle is a huge Taylor Swift fan. So Excuse money, me? yes, Kyle loves Taylor Swift. That's why I said in our group chat last night, when she spoke at NYU, I said, Kyle, this is for you. And he's like, she just needs to at me next time. He loves <laughs> Loves, loves, loves 
Taylor Swift, final Kyle story we'll tell. Promise you we have plenty of Temple Sports Talk for you if you're still listening. Um, in the year that Kyle lived with me in South Philly in 2011, Kyle and his good friend Paul Maffara used to come over and they had a tradition called Music Video Monday where they would go to either the bottle shop on East Palisunk or somewhere close by. They would each drink a six pack and they would just take turns playing music videos and watch them. You could just hear their commentary. And typically it was mo- it was mostly Taylor Swift, some other stuff, and you would just hear them and you would just hear, oh, all she does is just write these songs about people who have rejected her. Like, why won't she give me a chance? You know, and <laughs> just like, <laughs> just like, I mean, you hear the dialogue and the banter. It was hilarious. So if money was not an issue, Kyle, I would get you your own personal concert with Taylor Swift, where she would just come to your house and just play like a two and a half hour set for you, Meg, Jordan Riggs, you know, but I mean, you're married now, so you lost your chance. I don't know if Taylor's dating anybody, but um, yeah, that's what I would do. That would be my gift. And I would, I would hope that he would be happy with that. I mean, that'd be a huge gift, right? That'd be fantastic. Yeah. Are you kidding? I would love that too. I mean, it's, yeah. It's a personal set. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Famous number set 37s had this in here for, for Javon Deion Sanders wore number 37 when he played for the Ravens from 2004, 2005. I don't know. 37 has to be like the least common number. And Lester Hayes, Lester Hayes, Sean Alexander running back. He was was very good. Yes. Very dominant back Lester Hayes, old school Oakland Raider. My dad would, would love that. Um, Doke Walker yeah. was Doke Walker 37. I believe he was. Yeah. Someone's using Google. Well, yeah, I am now because I want to see. <laughs> yeah. Doke Walker was 37. There you go. Yeah. His picture's on the Doke Walker award Twitter. That's why I do that. There you go. Um, so, but anyway, enough about Kyle. We love him. Hope he's having a great birthday. He is 33 years old. We don't know what he has planned, but hope he's having fun wherever he is and uh, wouldn't, wouldn't put it past him to, to zoom bomb us at some point. We'll see. Anyway, got some stuff to get to this week after taking a week off. Thanks for your patience there. Um, a couple of new additions to the temple football roster that have taken place in the past really 24 hours. First one being Quincy Patterson. So we talked about this a million times over Stan Drayton and talked a few times throughout the spring it's pretty honest about the roster. Right. And it said like, you know, he's just very, you know, he'll throw praise out there when he needs to, but I think he's been very measured about each position group. And we've said this before, if you listen to him, if you listen closely, you'd, you know, if you were talking to Stan off the record, if there were no consequences, he'd probably say, I think every position on this roster needs help. He talked about needing quarterback depth. And now they have uh, someone who I would think would be a legitimate contender for the job. Uh, he's bounced around a couple of times with Quincy Patterson at one point was a highly touted quarterback recruit, started his career at Virginia tech, uh, was most recently at North Dakota state got hurt. They end up winning a national championship without him, uh, down the stretch. So, uh, Dante, I'll throw this over to you first. When, uh, on Twitter last night, you said nice pickup for temple Patterson is a true, a true dual threat with plenty of room for further development. So what do you like about him, and what's, where's the further development that could take place? Yeah. I mean, I think um, 
from a tools perspective, I don't think you're going to get a lot Love better. It. Needed to hear the yeah, word. Yeah, I look, it's, it's still, you know, it's always draft season for me. So mm-hmm. I, I got to throw the tools in there. Um, arm strength, mobility, size, physicality, all of those things, he has them in spades. You know, those are, you know, check the box. I mean, he's got an absolute hose attached to his shoulder. He's an incredible runner. He might right now. I think the issue though, is that he's probably a better runner than he is a thrower. Mm -hmm. Uh, You're looking at a run first quarterback. He went for almost, I believe it was 660 rushing yards in seven games last year off the top of my head. Um, So that's almost a hundred yards a game on the ground from a quarterback. And if you watch uh, North Dakota state, I mean, they run a lot of under center eye formation. I saw them put four guys in the backfield in the eye in a game that I watched this morning uh, against Albany, which is, you know, just one of the parts that I love about my job. Um, and, you know, you get to see stuff like that. I mean, this is a guy who is really just a tremendous athlete and he's going to bring a little bit of that added dimension that none of other, that none of the other quarterbacks on Temple's roster are going to bring right now. We talked about Dwan Mathis being able to use his feet, right? Like that was a huge talking point. I remember this time last year, right? It was, oh, they're going to run Dwan Mathis more and all this stuff. And Dwan can move. I'm not saying he's an immobile guy. But Dewan's mobility was behind the line of scrimmage. That's where he was going to give it to you. And he could pick up some easy yards beyond the line of scrimmage. Um, this is much different. This is going to be design quarterback runs, keepers, sweeps, uh, quarterback power, stuff like that. I mean, he is going to be a threat to beat you on designed runs. He's going to be awesome in short yardage and the red zone, stuff like that. You need two yards go throw three dudes in the backfield and let him pile drive them, you know, for, for a couple extra yards, stuff like that. So he's going to be good there where you need development is the arm. Um, if you watch North Dakota state, I mean, there's just a lot of very, very simple stuff. You see a quarterback who just hasn't quite been forced to make a lot of reads or make a lot of throws. They scored 45 points in the one game that I watched and he threw three passes when they had 45 points. So, um, you know, you're looking at a guy who hasn't thrown a lot of passes. You're looking at a guy who, you know, lost a quarterback battle at Virginia tech to Hendon hooker because Hendon hooker could throw the ball a little bit better than him. So this is a guy that really needs to develop as a passer. Um, so that's going to be the interesting part about this. If you, um, you know, Pete Thamel reported this first for ESPN and he kind of talked about how um, there was a good connection between him and Danny Langsdorf and he liked the under center shotgun variety that Langsdorf is going to run. And if you go back and watch uh, Langsdorf uh, offense at Nebraska, or if you read my piece on it for Alscoop.com, uh, you'll know that they will run a lot of under center stuff this year, at least, you know, like they said, 30, 70 about uh, what we should expect from that. And he liked that. And that's what he did at North Dakota state. So I think from a fit perspective, uh, Quincy coming over here makes a lot of sense, but I would not expect him to come in year one and be some transcendent dominant quarterback. There's a reason he transferred down to North Dakota state from Virginia tech. Uh, and there's a reason that they didn't go back to him when he got hurt because he came back for their version of the FCS playoff. Uh, and they went to another quarterback who had gotten them to that point and they stuck with him and they used him as a wildcat quarterback and a guy who was going to run the ball. Um, so there is legitimate development that is needed in his arm and the way that he processes coverages gets to second and third read stuff like that. But from a natural athleticism, from a talent perspective, this is about all you could ask for if you're temple and John, I think you made a really good point. You know, they just need talent specifically on the offensive side of the ball. That was one of my main takeaways from the end of last year. It's like, I don't know where these playmakers are coming from. <laughs> I really don't. And we've seen them attack the offensive side really, really heavily here in the transfer portal. So I think it's a good pickup. Um, 
I think it's a legitimate battle between him and Dwan Mathis for that quarterback spot. I, I don't know that Quincy's going to unseat Dwan. I think Dwan gives you a little bit more as a passer right now. So it'll be on Temple staff to kind of decide how they want to go about that. I think this is going to be really interesting because uh, now for this part, all we can really do is speculate. We've talked about this, like how will Dwan Mathis react if, you know, if they go out and get legitimate competition for, for them, like for him, because again, like, and I think he had, you know, and talking, we haven't talked to him yet. Uh, we're trying to catch up with him. Pete then will talk to him. And I think in part of, and I'm paraphrasing here in that story, I think he said, I don't want anything to be guaranteed to me. I want to come in and compete for the job. So we'll see what that brings out of Dwan Mathis. Or if, again, this is total, total speculation. Does, does Dwan Mathis look at this and say, oh, all right, um, maybe I should just transfer down a level? Or I, I don't know. I, I don't know how he's going to react to it. In a perfect world, if you're a Temple and you're both these guys – they compete for the job and, you know, fill in whatever quarterback sports cliche you want here, iron sharpens iron, so on and so forth. But I agree with you. Again, I, I haven't seen him live before. I, I think Dewan's probably a little bit better of a passer at this point, but Dewan has his own stuff to work on. We saw, I, I feel like the arm talent's been there for Dewan. I think he underthrew a few passes during the spring game. I don't know how much of that was the weather, the weird weather we had. I don't know how much of that was just his footwork, him stepping into throws. I don't know. Uh, but I do think it'll be really interesting. I mean, I've heard good things about him. He was a business major at Virginia Tech. I think he's supposed to be a really smart kid and really seems to be up for the challenge. I, we'll see what happens here. If he, ha he has two seasons of eligibility left, and again, if they truly do like EJ Warner, and again, why wouldn't they? They offered him a scholarship. Maybe if, if he comes in and he starts for you for the next two years, maybe he's the perfect bridge guy to EJ where EJ can come in redshirt for a year and then learn another year. But um, just really kind of an intriguing name, I would think. Um, do you see it playing out that way, Dante, where, where, where Dewan sticks around? And this is like, again, there are going to be so many position battles with, with a, new, a new staff, some turnover on the roster. If Dewan sticks around, then this becomes an instant storyline for the summer, right? Yeah, obviously it does. And I think, honestly, I mean, if I'm Dewan, I would stick around. Again, mm -hmm. this is just us, you know, being speculatory. I mean, I think that he's got to feel good about the fact that he knows this offense a little bit better right now. He's ahead of him in the playbook. He just went through a spring ball. Uh, you know, you, I think you feel better at, with your ability to be a passer. Um, and you know what, if you lose that battle and you want to leave then, okay, fine. I, I, I think that makes a little bit more sense, but I wouldn't jump ship this early. I mean, you have a head start on this guy and there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to beat him out this year. Now, I think, honestly, I think regardless, they're going to try and work him into to rushing packages because he's just too good of a runner to, to keep on the bench mm -hmm. and Temple needs whatever juice they can find on that side of the ball. So, I mean, I think Patterson gets a package no matter who wins that battle, frankly. Right. So, but I, if I was Dewan, I'd stay. I, I, I think that, you know, you got to think to yourself, I have the leg up on this guy. I've been here. I know this playbook. This staff knows me. I, you know, go out there and compete. You know, that would be me. I don't know. Maybe he's just so frustrated with his time here at Temple that he just wants to get out regardless. I don't know. But that's, that's my take on it, at least. Sam, your thoughts. I mean, I, I, again, I like you, I've not seen anything. I've seen nothing of Quincy. Um, so I think Dante does a great job summing it up, but if Quincy comes in and as you mentioned before, like 
this is best case scenario because before Dewan is was the only quarterback as of you know two days ago. Um, now he has some competition, so I think for Temple football, it it's good because whichever one of them ends up being the quarterback, uh, they'll be able to help each other. Um, they'll be able to push each other, which competition is always good. As long as they don't play both of them and they don't switch off drives, then I think they're fine. But to Dante's point about how Dewan's arm is a little bit better, but maybe Quincy's a little bit better as a versatile mobile quarterback, whatever. That's the kind of thing where they can help each other, whatever that looks like. So that's, that's really all I have to add. I thought, I thought you both did a great job summing it up, but that's, I mean, that's the main thing, like you guys said, that they can, uh, they can be really beneficial for each other. Dante, for you, you think the arm talent is there. It's just the experience and the reps and, and can he make all the throws he needs to, to make? Oh yeah. I mean, he's got a hose. I mean, he can throw the ball 65 yards. No problem. The issue is, is the ball going 65 yards in the correct direction? You know, it's stuff like that, right? It's like, how good is your accuracy? How good is your placement? What is your mental processing? Right. I mean, like this is just not a lot of guys. He doesn't have a lot of pass attempts, right? Like there's not like, I watched two games. He threw 20 passes in those two games. I mean, North Dakota state is really just a, we're going to run the football 55 times a game and we're going to get 5.5 yards of carry. And we're just going to beat you down. So, and that might be what temple wants to do this year. And it's a lot easier when you're North Dakota state at the FCS level and your temple at, in the American, that's a little bit harder to do. But um, I jokingly sent this in our group chat. I was like, I watched when I got done watching Quincy, I was like, I think temple should run the triple option. Like, this, this kid would be great in that offense. Now, obviously, I'm, I'm kidding, but, like, Temple wants to be a run-heavy team. So I, I don't know how much you need him to be good with his arm, but right now I think Dewan Mathis is a more accurate and a little bit more ahead of him as a processor when passing the football. But arm talent-wise, I don't think there's much of a gap there at all. Yeah, it sounds like Stan's pretty adamant that they want to, they want to be a run-heavy team. That's likely, as of right now, I think we can speculate that that's probably Ed Sadie and Darvon Hubbard. Um, I mean, he said the two of them still have areas to grow. The running back room is not where it needs to be. And the offensive line, I think, from what we saw from, um, I want to call it pro day, a cherry white game is not probably not where it needs to be at all. But if they can improve the offensive line, if they can get the running backs where they want to be, then Quincy could be a much better fit if they're not throwing the ball that much. Uh, where they can become a run-heavy team, like you said, Dante. Think of it this way. October 29th at Navy, Temple is running the triple option. Navy's running the triple option. Would that be the first time ever the two football teams have run a triple option against each other? In modern no. in no. modern football? No, Army, no. Navy. Army, Navy every year. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you make that exception and you make it modern football and you narrow it to D1, it, there's not a lot of them anymore. That would be like, because Georgia Tech's out now. They were like one of the last modern yep. teams, not a service academy to run the triple option. I'm trying to think. Hour and a half game. We all go down there, cover the game. We're out of there filing our stories. We're eating just delicious seafood three hours later. Great night. I'm not going to complain. Yeah. I'm not. Something, all right. something to keep in the back of your mind there. Uh, another addition uh, to the roster. Temple is also signed. We've been able to confirm a Duke offensive lineman, uh, Peace Addo. He's from St. Francis and Baltimore. He has two years of eligibility left. So he was a, a two-star offensive tackle coming out of St. Francis. Played sparingly at Duke. Uh, his, his first snap, ironically, came when Duke just absolutely took it to Temple in the Independence Bowl in 2018. 
Uh, I think he played just, you know, 22 snaps in six games in 2019, one, one game and nine snaps in 2020, uh, 118 snaps last year, all left tackle. So he's played sparingly. You know, I, I think that you could, you, you could go down the offensive line again. Chris Weezan's got his hands full there. There are some names there. There are some pieces there right now. I think he's, you know, he's depth, but you know, who's to say he couldn't compete for a job there. I mean, there, there, there had to be a reason why he played sparingly at, at Duke and, and wasn't starting, but he's big. I mean, he's a, he's a big guy. He's got some size. What are your thoughts on this one? Just a depth addition. They, they've been scouring the portal. They like what they see, bring them in and compete, see what happens. I would think so. I mean, they are, they're, this is the same thing with quarterbacks. They're not really in a position to be picky about bringing in talent. This is a, a guy who played at a power five school. Uh, he got 118 snaps last year. So he's a little bit experienced. I look at like what you said, John and his size. I mean, he would be the biggest offensive lineman on temples roster weight wise by like, a fair margin if his Duke size is to be taken at face value. Six, six, three forty-five. Yeah. Yeah. If he's really three forty-five, the next closest temple offensive lineman to three forty-five is Wisdom Quarshi yeah, at three ten. Um, offensive tackles at Temple are floating around 290, 300 ish range. Um, so he would be a outlier if he is really that size. And even if he's like 10 pounds lighter than that, he's still an incredible outlier for temple. So I think just in that way, right. Sam mentioned Stan Drayton wants to run the football. You need big boys to run the football. You need those maulers to, that are going to move guys off the ball. So if he's able to do that, I don't know. I don't, you probably don't kick him into guard. He's probably a little bit too tall, tall to play guard. Um, but if, if you can get a decent, you know, push from him at tackle, that's a huge get. And there's a lot of competition there. The right tackle position. We saw Isaac Moore sit out of that spring game. We, we weren't really sure what was going on there specifically with him, but he didn't play. Um, that was a problem. Right tackle was not great because that forced somebody else into the lineup and that offensive line got bullied for, I'm going to go with 85% of the day. So any depth you can add there at all, I think is, is what you have to do. Yeah. I was talking to a former, uh, former temple player, about this last night and you know everybody has their opinion on things and and he was asking me about like you know do you think they're going into the portal too much and I said well I think right now they're just I I don't think I don't think that Stan Drayton has given any indications of like we need to be this needs to be a quick fix turnaround I don't think he wants to build things like that but I think they're trying to be selective where they can in the portal and you know, now more than ever, coaches are watching film, watching film, watching film, creating these depth charts of like, if we could get this guy, do we want to pounce on him? And I'd have to believe they see something in him. Chris Weezahan sees something and see something in him uh, that he thinks they can develop and we'll see what happens. But I think their, their long-term goal is to like, let's, let's really, really get back into the high schools and in Philly, South Jersey, North Jersey, the recruiting footprint that we used to have established if you're talking, you know, through the voice of the staff here, but I agree. His size is intriguing. We'll see. And again, I'm still not sure. We've talked about this before. I'm still not sure what to make of the spring game. Who knows what they were running and not running and what they were installing. But yeah, that, that offensive line has seen better days between the, the fumble exchanges and, you know, what do we take from the D line? You know, there were some guys that played well, but was that them? Was that the offensive line being bad, but um, they don't have a they don't have a set in stone center yet. There's still guys moving around. Yeah, yeah, it could be Wiz, could be Adam Klein. We'll see. You know, 
We'll see what happens there. Um, they did officially announce, we've talked about these guys, but they officially announced the signings of Jakari Norwood from Illinois, the transfer running back there. Adonicus Sanders, who we've talked about, the transfer wide receiver from Georgia Tech, who might be the might be the best of the bunch here. Um, and then Brengan Scott, if you're an Alscoop.com subscriber, you can read Caden's story on him, the JUCO safety that they added, who could really just compete right away there. Uh, Penn State transfer Joseph uh, Apaya Darkwa. So we'll see. You know, and now they're just, you know, we'll, we'll see how the roster shakes out. If there's a piece here, a piece there, another person that leaves in the portal, you know, heading up to, um, you know, heading up to to preseason camp in August, where you'll see our coverage start to shift a little bit as now Stan Drayton and his staff are going to start with their camp starting next weekend or what, week, week and a half from now from Memorial Day weekend. You know, that's when they bring guys in, can evaluate them. So hopefully we'll, we'll have more recruiting coverage for you guys. Another quick note, if you follow this stuff, Rod Streeter, former Temple wide receiver who played well uh, when they won the New Mexico Bowl, caught the touchdown pass from Chris Coyer, uh, had some t- playing time in the NFL for a while. He's now joined the Eagles as an area scout. Really good for Rod. He's a, just an awesome guy. He was a great human being to cover. Hopefully we can maybe get him onto the pod at some point. Um, Switching things over to basketball, they did officially announce uh, the signings of Jamil Reynolds and Kurt Jonkuch. Of course, we've talked about those guys last time we were with you guys. We were uh, telling you that the Jamil Reynolds commitment was coming out of the transfer portal, and then he decided to announce his commitment while we were recording. So that was fun. Um, had the chance to uh, to talk to Aaron McKee, and we had this up on the site last week. I got about four or five minutes with, with Aaron after – uh, one of the temple takeover events that they did out at the PJ will hands in, Oh God, where was it? Blue bell. Blue bell. Thank you, Sam. Uh, Sam was going to try to go. He had something to write for, for the inquire. Yeah. So I was left to my own devices and talking to people. Made it to the cherry Hill one though. You did. Well, that, I mean, it's, it's for, I'm sure a, a handful of our listeners went to one of them. Some of them, any of the, of the five, uh, I think tonight's the, the temple takeover in New York city. Yes. Uh, but I got, I, I should say I got to meet several of our subscribers, which is always, always nice. fun. So, uh, that was a treat. So thank you for, for all of you who came up to say, hi, I really appreciate that. I'm going to play a quick clip here. And again, if you're an Al scoop subscriber, you got to hear this last week. Again, I, I caught up with Aaron for about five minutes afterward, talked to him about Kerr and, and Jamil also talked to him about, uh, about Hysir Miller, talk to him about what, what it's like for the staff to recruit out of the portal. But this clip you're going to hear here is Aaron McKee talking about Kerr Jonkuch and Jamil Reynolds. What's up? Uh, tell me about the, the new guys now that they're signed. I guess we'll start with, uh, with Core from Northern Colorado. Um, long experience. Mm-hmm. Um, gives us versatility. He can handle, not that he'd be a point guard out there, but it can right. handle for what we try to do on the offensive side. He'll help us with that. And he's a threat for a lot, you yeah. know, to the rim. We just didn't have anything inside. Like, we we played, like, a perimeter team, like a jump-shooting team, and we, right. we wasn't a jump-shooting team. And yeah. we would go through those scoring droughts, and every now and then you need somebody that you can throw it to the rim to, somebody who can just roll, you can hit them, and they can do something with the ball. So I think he brings that to us along with his experience. Yeah, because you would say, I want to play inside out, but I felt like you just kind of Could, couldn't do it. That was just me talking, but... No, but I get we it. We wanted to do it. Yeah. And, it, and and sometimes if you can't do it with the bigs, you could do it with your guards. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we would do it. We wasn't as successful. as, And I think like, the guys are getting better at that. We've yeah. been working on, the, on that. We're going to work on that some more. 
the summer when they come back. And so hopefully we get better at that. So if we don't have anybody a big that we can throw it to, then we can use our guards in it. And what about Jamil? I mean, I just heard you talking to the fans about yeah. him and saying you, you got a chance to really scout him and see him. Yeah, you're going to be pleasantly. You didn't get a chance to see him, but I, I watched him. Good hands, good feet. Mm -hmm. He just, you know, he got to get himself in shape. He got to get himself in great shape because I want to get up and down. I want to run. Um, he can bang with those big physical guys that we played. And I thought that was a, a deficit mm -hmm. for us. Whenever we would play against those big physical teams, it, we just had to do things different. So I thought, again, it was a quick conversation. I know, uh, you know Aaron and I were literally talking in the parking lot, had a chance to catch up briefly, and then he uh, wanted to get home and watch the Sixers game, which turned out to be a total travesty. So, uh but can't fault him for that former former 76 or the last time that the Sixers were actually chasing a championship. Aaron McKee was on that roster, but nevertheless, I, I thought he was pretty honest where I, I, you know, I said to him, you know, you just always say you want to play inside out. And he's like, yeah, it was me talking. And he just was pretty honest and said, we weren't, we just couldn't do it. So, yeah. And he, you know, he confirmed, you know, what we were hearing, you know, like I, I thought he did, a, you know, it's interesting to hear him say like, you know, core is a guy that we can just throw a lob to, like, we couldn't really, again, he was honest, couldn't really do that. You know, um, again, confirmed what we were hearing that, you know, like really likes Jamil Reynolds. They just need to need to get him in shape, you know? So we'll see how their offense changes with those guys in the post. I mean, I know we've had Sam, you talked about these guys already, what I want to ask you about more and ask you guys about more now is so, you know, here we are, it is May 19th and they still have four scholarship spots remaining. The last time we talked to you, we had talked to multiple people about this and it looked like things were maybe trending in the right direction for them with Max Edwards from Kansas state. Uh, and he has since committed to GW um, and RJ Lewis jr. He's announcing this weekend, right? We're thinking it's probably going to be UMass. Um, so what, once he initially had said he was going to take a visit to Kansas state and we thought, okay, talk to a couple sources we're familiar with. And they'd say, yeah, I don't think temple's going to wait around for him any longer, but he's probably headed to UMass. We're guessing. Um, so they've got four scholarship spots remaining. There's a mailbag question about this again. Um, Quincy Adam McCoy didn't transfer right away, but once he announced it wasn't a surprise, he's ending up at Kennesaw state. We've talked about this already. You know, Jake Forrester left committed to St. Louis yesterday, right? Yeah. So Jake's gone. Erasmus parks as you know, is gone. Ty Strickland is heading to Southern Sage Tolbert hasn't picked anywhere, right? Sage Tolbert has not picked anywhere. Jeremiah Williams, of course, was the one, one sort of surprise and loss, but now, you know, one of the guys that he really wanted to play with is leaving. And I believe the assistant coach who recruited him left. So, um, but nonetheless, they've got – so here's the roster as it stands now. You've got Caleb Battle coming back, Damian Dunn. You've got about, I would say, well, really nine scholarship players. Again, about six or seven, right, that you feel really good about. Caleb Battle, Damian Dunn, Jaleel White, Heisier Miller, Nick Jordan, Zach Hicks, Kurt Jonkoc, Jamil Reynolds, and Emmanuel Okpomo. So you have four spots open there. And again, I don't want to talk too much about the one piece of this because one of them is a mailbag question that we'll get to. Um, I'll go rapid fire here, guys. Sam, I'll start with you. I'm going to go rapid fire down the roster with this group. Before we talk about what they still need and what they need to fill in, what's the next step that each player needs to take here, like 30 seconds or less? Caleb Battle, start with him. I think if he can improve his ball handling and just be a guy that can trust the ball in his hands because they don't have Jeremiah Williams – 
the same way Heisier is going to be their ball dominant point guard, but if they can trust him and Dame Don to have the ball in their hands and be a good decision maker, those are the two things for Caleb decision making and ball handling. Dante, you want to jump in on this too? I'll let Sam take it. You know what? <laughs> Sam, Sam knows his stuff. I don't want to get in the way. Dante's let like, it, I just let him run it. Dante just said, I just footballed you guys to death. I <laughs> about the triple option. We talked about Annapolis. We talked about all sorts of glorious things. So uh, Damian Dunn. He's a solid defender, but he could definitely become a better defender. And his three-point shooting, if he can become – I mean, he took a huge, huge, huge step from taking like five three-pointers all of two seasons ago to taking like 20-something and you know hit two game winners. If that can become a, a consistent threat for him to be a, a score at all three levels, uh, that's the biggest thing. He took that jump to an extent this past year. I think he can take that even further. Jolly White. Uh, shooting, same thing. Um, I think if he can become, uh, he showed flashes of like being able to shoot a little bit. If he can become a three level scorer, that makes that takes him from oh, a, a one dimensional, really good defender, one dimensional player to one of the best players on this entire roster and someone that can really be a, an important bright spot for the future of Temple basketball after Caleb and Dame are gone. I see your Miller. Ooh, um, he could also improve his shooting, uh, but I think he's going to have to st- – the, the biggest thing is he's going to have to develop into being just a facilitator. I mean, he has such a small sample size of experience as a facilitator. Uh, they're going to want him to play similar to what Jeremiah Williams d- was doing, except um, you know, be with your, when you're going to have Caleb and Dame back, he doesn't need to score the ball at will. He doesn't need to be a primary scorer, but he needs to be able to run an offense at a high level. He needs to become a really, really w- good passer. I think he's a willing passer. He needs to become a stronger passer. Um, and just grow. I think he's got a really good feel for the game, and that's only going to come with time because he's 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 essentially, as Aaron always says, he's essentially going to be a freshman again because he played so little last year. Yeah, and again, just two real quick things. Number one, again, if you're an Alscoop subscriber, you you heard Aaron talk to me about what he needs to see next out of out of out of Hysir and what they like about him. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, would suggest doing so and appreciate it. And you can hear Aaron talking about, about his game, what he needs next out of him. I'll throw this out to you too, Sam. I mean, do you think that, that another piece for him, and again, he had a pretty good freshman season, is learning how to finish a little bit better around, around the rim and getting to the line a little bit more. Again, like you said, he doesn't need to be, you know, they're not looking for him to take 15 shots a game, but is that another piece that has to come together for him? Yeah, without a doubt. If he could, you know, if he could be able to score, I think he showed a couple flashes like he's able to knock down a shot. He he struggled at times finishing inside. I think a lot of that was like almost like the shock value mid of middle of last season. He was starting to see an uptick in his minutes a little bit. You know, when Caleb gets hurt, and then obviously towards the end of the season when Dame and Jeremiah are both hurt, his numbers are, you know, skyrocketing. But Aaron always calls him a gamer, someone who's ready for the moment. If he can, you know become more consistent score at all three levels. Like I, you could probably say that about half these guys, if they can become more consistent scorers. But I think right. just to like backtrack real quick, it's like Caleb ball handling, Damien Dunn, three point shooting, you know, Josh three point shooting high seer uh, to be able to be a better facilitator. Cause I think it's, it's easy to just say they could all be better shooters except for Caleb. Um, Dame obviously can score, but uh, for all, for the rest of them to become better shooters is, is an easy answer. So for high seer, I'd specifically say just, being becoming a more comfortable, strong facilitator. Nick Jordan he has to play with. He has to play defense without fouling. Yeah. Um, stay out of foul trouble. Uh, not rip his jersey. Conserve your jerseys. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> if he can, if he can not let his emotions get the best of him, which I think at times he's he's good with that, and at times um, his he lets his emotions kind of impact his play. Um, Who hasn't? I've seen you throw your sheriff laptops. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's a total lie. I don't. I've never, I've never seen I average laptop. 1.3 laptop throws a season. <laughs> um, trying to think. I don't of what even cause you to have such an outburst. Anyway, go ahead. I'm trying to remember what his rebounding number numbers were last year, but a feel factor answer is that he could become a better, more consistent, and stronger offensive rebounder. Um, but again, this is one of those things where I'll say something and then Kyle will be like, well, actually this is what really happened. Um, so that's my, that's my feel factor answer. The, the, my main thing I think for Nick Jordan is to be able to defend and defend the interior, uh, more specifically without fouling, um, and, you know, improve his rebounding numbers. Cause they're going to, they're really going to need it, especially in small ball lineups. Yeah. I mean, he averaged 5.3 rebounds a game, but again, his, his minutes just decreased down the, well, yeah, I mean, his minutes did decrease down the stretch because, like you said, he was having problems staying on the floor, even just in that, you know. I yeah, mean, he also had were... a really – he had a, and this goes back to what I was saying before, is like he's shown that he can knock down shots, but he has to knock down open shots. And then if he can grow into someone that can – you know, he had a pretty bad slump last season in terms of shooting the ball. His numbers didn't finish the way I think he would have wanted them to. But he had games where he was knocking down. So if he can become a more consistent shooter too – that um you know that trend continues i mean his his um i would say like his probably his i don't want i mean it's maybe unfair to say this that the last game that he had that really kind of impressed me was that that february 16th win over smu and where where his shooting numbers were bad he went two of 12 but he was a big reason why they won because he grabbed 12 boards he had marcus waters he what's that he was, that was the Marcus, that was because Marcus Weathers destroyed them the first yeah. time around. Yeah. And then the second time around, they really contained him. Yeah. And he wasn't, his shot wasn't falling, but he, he, he hit you know, all four of his free throws, 12 boards, which I believe that, that tied a, a season and career high for him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just, just nine points, but three blocks, only two fouls. He stayed on the floor for 31 minutes that night. And then you look at the way he closed out the season, 12 minutes in the eight, in the eight, 10. John, John Rothstein would love that. Sorry for the wow. slip. Um, in the, in the American athletic conference, uh, tournament, uh, game here, 12 minutes, one of five from the floor, two points. So it didn't, uh, didn't he's got the, well yeah, he's got the potential to be as good a two-way player sure. you know, to be a top three, two-way player. I think Ja is probably the best chance of being the best two-way player on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, Nick Jordan is, is right there in the conversation. Obviously Jeremiah was a huge piece in that conversation, but, right. uh, Nick Jordan has that potential. That kicks. So we obviously we know we can shoot the ball, and if he can do it more consistently, because being a season he was up here, middle of the season he was down here, kind of circles back. He's got a level off. Um, but the biggest thing about Zach Hicks, Zach Hicks we saw last year was about halfway through the season you start to see him be a little bit more physical defensively. Um, you start to see him attack the rim a little bit more for rebounds. You start to see him like push people a little bit more, and it wasn't anywhere where he needs to be, but you saw him take those steps. So I think if he can become a good defender. Uh, and he can become a three and D guy for them. That'd be fantastic. He's not exactly someone who's going to get downhill and get to the basket. He's a shooter. He's going to take threes and he's going to take mid rangers coming off pin downs. So that's a guy that could become a three and D guy for them um, with some, con- it becomes a more consistent shooter and a better defender. Cause he's got the size, he's got the length. He's just got to become a more, uh, more versatile defender, be able to defend multiple positions. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've, we've talked about Kerjohn coach and, and Jamil Reynolds already. Uh, maybe we'll, skip them or or unless you have thoughts on like you know again we haven't really seen these guys well we've technically seen jamil reynolds live 
any thoughts on like the next step in their development that you'd want to chime in on here? I mean, you know, Aaron, we have Aaron talking about them. Sure. Um, I'm, I'll say this. I don't want to speak out of turn because I haven't seen much of either of them play. Uh, if you ask me if I remembered much of Jamil Reynolds in the 14 combined minutes he played in the two times they played UCF, I don't. <laughs> but uh, Core has one season of eligibility. They, and we, I don't want to be redundant because we've definitely talked about this before on the pod is that he's super strong and athletic. Uh, I don't think he's as skilled as Jamil Reynolds is, but right. I think he's, he's got the athleticism. I've definitely said this before, but I think that they want, he's similar what to, to what they want with Sage, except they maybe thought Sage could shoot the ball a little bit more. I don't think core is going to be shooting the ball at all. I think he's an interior presence that gives him some size inside or gives him some strength inside someone that can get up and down the floor, someone that can set screen and rolls and they can lob the ball up towards the hoop too. Um, that's going to be like when, you know, when they're playing a little bit more half court, I think he can be in small ball lineups too. He's only six, nine uh, only as if that's not tall. Uh, so I, I think that's really going to be the big thing for him is um, I don't anticipate him taking shots, but like, how does his game translate to the American uh, with that physicality, with that athleticism, you know, is he able to set screens and be able to get like roll down to the dive down the hoop? Is he able to play the short corner and just lob up to him, whatever, dump, dump down a pass and he can push a body and get inside, whatever. So that's the way I envision core with again, one year Jamil, I think is long-term uh, has the potential to be, uh, to be an important piece in that front court. I think he's already pretty skilled. We've talked about his weight. Showed up at UCF at 285, played this past season around 230, is now back up at 280. So, one, he has a summer at Temple to, to be in shape. Side note, I didn't think Core would be here this fast, but he's already on campus, so I'm there today. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, if Jamil Reynolds can get into shape, uh, and I, th- I think he's, he's skilled, he's got good feet, he's got soft touch, I think more so than Core. So, I think long-term, I think he could be um, – he could be a good, a really good front court piece. So that's, that's about all I can say for those two, uh, just because based on the little that I've seen and my, my expectations for kind of what their, their offense looks like and how they fit in. And finally, Emmanuel Akpoma. He's got to do something. Yeah. He's got to do something. <laughs> we've seen nothing. <laughs> oh, man. We've, uh, we've, we've really seen just about nothing of him. So I'll say something similar to the conversation we had at the start of last season, because I don't think we learned much of anything. And that's, you know, he dealt with a neck injury. They were super, super cautious yes. with playing him out just because they didn't really have a, I'm to our, to the extent of my knowledge, our knowledge, didn't have a great extent of understanding of like the severity of what it was at times or didn't want to push him back on the floor too soon. So they were super cautious with, with his playing time. Uh, he's got to be a rim protector. He's got to be a good defender and he's got to be able to finish inside because he's going to, when he's on the floor, he's going to be out there for defense. He's going to be out there to guard the opposing team's best player or excuse me, biggest player when they're going to, when they're going to be outmatched at times uh, out when other teams are going to have a little bit more size, he has to be able to defend those guys. And then he has to be able to finish inside because again, when he's on the floor, those times he's inside and they give it to him. He has to be able to either pass it out or finish around guys. They don't need him to do anything crazy offensively. They're going to have other weapons, but that's the way I see it. They just, he needs to, he needs to give something offensively and then be a good rim protector, be a good interior defender. I wouldn't be surprised if not, not that they won't put him out on the floor, but I think maybe the way they might approach him is saying, okay, you were, you weren't completely healthy last year. We're going to give you another year to kind of develop, you know, they're getting Kerr John for a year and kind of have him learn under him a little bit more. And then they're going to need a lot more of Akpomo 
two seasons from now. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, just a few scheduling updates to pass along. So we're told through a couple of sources, the temple is most likely going to be hosting Villanova at Temple on the, uh, at, at the Leah Course Center. It looks like it'll be November 11th, which would be a Friday. Uh, we're also told that the season opener, as of now, would come before that. So I don't think that that's going to be the season opener. This will be interesting because they typically don't play them uh, that early. Uh, it's either been a December game or a February game or something like that. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, Villanova, of course, was a Final Four team this past season. Now they're going to be playing for new head coach and Kyle Neptune. That's obviously been one of the biggest uh, local and national college basketball storylines with Jay Wright surprising everybody and retiring. And then John Rothstein reported the Temple and VCU will start a home-and-home home series starting this coming season in Philly. The return game will be the following season at VCU. So VCU was 22-10 and 10 this season, went to the second round of the NIT. So you add that into what we already know about the schedule, which is that includes the recent addition of Ole Miss, Vanderbilt. Uh, then they'll be in the Empire Classic, which is going to include Syracuse, St. John's, and Richmond. They'll play two of those three teams. So um, final question for you guys. Again, so it, again, it's, it is May 19th, and they still have four scholarship positions to fill here. If you're a Temple fan, are you concerned about that? Are you sitting there saying, okay, this is normal. They got to fill out a couple more pieces here. And again, there's a mailbag question about this and we'll get to that, but should Dante and Sam, should Temple fans be concerned about the fact that they doesn't look like that? Well, again, obviously Max Edwards committed to, to GW. Again, we're thinking, hearing based on people we trust that, that RJ Louise is probably going to commit to UMass. Should fans be concerned? I think there's room for cautious concern. Uh, I say that because they're not playing. They have nine guys in the roster. They're not playing. They're likely not going to play more than a nine. They've gone 10 deep before, but they're likely not going to play more than that as a rotation. So a maj- the likely scenario is whoever else they get through the portal or wherever uh, is not a – as of right now, you know, I'm being speculative. They could find someone that's fantastic, comes in, plays, competes right away, whatever. Um, but I think right now it's very possible that anybody else they bring in is more of a long-term, uh, a long-term get. For the backcourt, I think though, they have their their rotation is Heiser Miller, Caleb Battle, Dame Dunn. Um, you know, John, Zach can both John's a little more versatile. Uh, Zach's gonna play a little more on the wing, but this season, if they don't bring in another guard that plays, as we've talked about, that kind of Ty Strickland role, uh, exactly. you know, someone who'd come off the bench, be a spark plug, score the ball. If they don't have that, they're going to put a lot of miles on Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn and even Heiser Miller's bodies. Um, I think having, like, if they can all stay healthy, if they get hurt, they're going to need somebody. If any of those guys, you know, knock on wood, get hurt, they're going to really need somebody. But it'll be, so I think, more so it's just a really interesting nine because you kind of have a pretty solidified backcourt. You have three true four, excuse me, now four true forwards. And then some guys that can kind of be super versatile in the middle. Uh, There's a lot of versatility within the lineup between playing the two, three, and, you know, even the four. Uh, So I I think there's room for cautious concern because right now you need, if someone gets hurt, which, again, they dealt with a lot last year, then you're absolutely going to need someone to be able to play legitimate minutes. But, you know, uh, if, if someone, if they could stay completely healthy, like this is, this is an okay group. They have a solid group. They're bringing back some, uh, most of their core. Um, 
no pun intended. They also are bringing in a guy named core. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Picked up on that. <laughs> uh, Good job. Nonetheless though. Very so proud of you. I think you right now, this is all to say, I think if you can, if you're temple and you can get one, maybe two more guys that can be, they can have an immediate impact. You're in an okay spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you don't, and the, you bring in only long-term guys or guys that will be starstruck when they hit the floor for the first time, then I think you're in a tough spot mm-hmm. just because you're going to put a lot of miles on those bodies. Yeah. I, I, I think if you, you've, I agree with you, you have to, I would think you'd need to bring in somebody who can play five or 10 minutes off the game, uh, five for 10 minutes, excuse me, off the bench at, at point guard, like Ty did. And again, they have multiple guys that can handle the ball. They want Ja to be that guy that can handle the ball too, but still relatively young and you know maybe another wing that you bring in is more of a long-term guy or maybe not as long-term as we think because if you're recruiting these guys you might say we might only have we might only have caleb battle for another season or dame dunn for another season you never never know so um we'll have to see how this plays out and again um uh, we'll, we'll jump over to one of the mailbag questions here that kind of keeps this conversation going. This is from Berkshire Al and Berkshire Al has a couple of mailbag questions this week. The basketball related one is what is the over under on the number of unused scholarships when the season starts? So again, they have four available. They have nine guys, as scholarship players right now, four available. Set it at, I'm debating between one and a half and two and a half. I was going to say two and a half. Mm-hmm. It's, I think they get two and they, they yeah. roll over two. That's what I think. Whether too. it's like a mid-season guy or a next year, 2023, I think they get two more before the season. I agree. I think the interesting thing for them now is with the way the game is, do you – I mean, it sounds stupid to say you have to be strategic. They always have to be strategic when they're recruiting. <laughs> but, you know, do you bring in – the guys that you bring in, it's either going to have to be like a, an immediate knee guy where like, hey – if you're comfortable with just playing five or 10 minutes a game off the bench to back up, to back up Fabe, to back up Heiser Miller, and then you could have more minutes in the future. Great. If you're comfortable with like maybe playing five or 10 minutes a game as a wing, you know, if, you know, to give Zach some rest, give Dame some rest, because I think if you just say, we're going to go get four guys to get four guys. And those other two guys are at the end of the bench and saying top of the roster is kind of loaded. I'm never going to play here. And they might just bounce again. I think that's just kind of the new reality that, that everybody's dealing with. It's probably why guys like, you know, Quincy Adam McCoy left. And, and uh, again, I think Jeremiah was a surprise. Jake Arashma, you know, probably again, they, they, and those guys declared before they, they brought in these two bigs. So um, I think that's going to be really, really interesting for them. A good mailbag question. Uh, next question here. This is a Twitter mailbag question from uh, this, the handle is uh, temple fan. Al, well, the new Peabody restaurant, which is where the draft horse was, be a success? No. <laughs> no. And I said that's a negative, I, such I a negative not, here. I was not around at Temple of age to be able to spend a good portion of my time, but a good portion of my time with the draft horse. But based on how much fun people had there and how much people loved it, it will always be second. It has to, like, it has to be unbelievable to be to even to be even close to it because people always be like, Oh, well, it was this, but I guess maybe because all those people are gone by now, anyone, mm-hmm. it will, it, by the time this place opens, everyone that had ever been or been around for the horse uh, will be, 
weaned out of Temple for the most part. So maybe here's close. here's what I'll say, right? There is a gap in the Temple bar scene. There needs to be another bar because now we're down to two bars that are like relatively on campus. Pub Web is technically off campus, but it's it's literally right there. And mm-hmm. then you have Maxi's. Both of those places way too crowded this semester, mm. this year in general. Sure. Um, so I think that there's a gap for Peabody to. It, it's supposed to be like a sports bar, right? Is is that? But is also that a little upscale. Also a little upscale. Upscale See, I casual. Don't, I don't. That's a little. I don't know about all that, but there is there is a gap in the Temple Bar scene for another bar to pick up really good business. I only got to go to draft Drought Horse once um, and drink, so I don't really have a ton of perspective on it, but. There's a gap there. I, I think know. it will. I think it will be a success. I think people are looking for another option. Obviously, COVID put a put a real dent in the draft horse, as as it did with so many other businesses and industries. But I think that fans fans looking to come to games will just say, "Oh, hey, there's something new here. Let's check it out." And if it's a mix of casual bar food and and gastropub stuff, and like, oh, I could get something slightly upscale. I think that maybe touches kind of like both populations there where you're like, Hey, if you live in the neighborhood, you want to come in, drink a beer, have a sandwich and some fries. You can do that. If you're, um, if you're coming to a temple basketball game and you want to take your family out to dinner after you, I, I think it will be, I think it will be successful. I'm going to be a little optimistic here. Who knows? Uh, uh, Berkshire Al also has another mailbag question here. He dropped this in Berkshire. I'll drop this in on the, um, on the football board. Uh, here we go. Do you think all, do you all think that the new QB signee indicates a chain and a change in offensive approach? So we've kind of talked about this. I mean, you know, I don't know if Danny Langsdorf expected this to get out there, but again, he, you know, Quincy, Quincy Patterson told Pete Thamel, this is like, this is what Danny Langsdorf told me in terms of like playing whatever. What was the breakdown again? 30% under center, 70% in the shotgun or to have a backwards. Yeah. yeah. No, I think you have it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, I, I, as Fran Dunphy used to say, appreciate the questions kind of hard to say. And it's a good one. I just don't know what they're because they're so new because they're taking a, a long detailed look at the roster. I don't technically know what their offensive approach was truly, truly going to be. They can say what they want to say in the spring, but I don't know. Dante, what do you think of this one? I think this person has it backwards. I think Danny Langsdorf being the hire at offensive coordinator is the new direction. And this is just him kind of fitting into what he has been successful with, which is mobile quarterbacks with big arms that are perfectly comfortable working 30% of their snaps under center. Uh, If you watch what he did at Nebraska, that's what they did there. And they were pretty good in those years before they, you know, fell apart to whatever the heck's going on there now. Um, So he had some success there. Those were some of his best years as an offensive coordinator. And that's the type of quarterback that he had. Um, So I don't think that Patterson coming in, was the signal of change. I think it was just, that's what Danny Langsdorf has been successful with at the collegiate level. Um, Obviously worked with Eli Manning at the NFL level who could not be more different if you tried. Um, But I, I I think that this was always going to be the direction that it goes, frankly. So I, I wouldn't say that this is the signal of change. I would just say that for me, at least this is confirmation more than anything else. 
Final question here, and this is a one, two, three, four parter. This is from our friend Pat Egan at 97.5, the fanatic. Pat following his, his standard half serious, half uh, humorous question format here, which we certainly appreciate, Pat. Uh, so here's his question. It's chalk, but going into football, what position do you feel best about? What position do you feel worst about? What position have you been surprised by? How much it's been addressed in the Stan Drayton era? And then there's the end, which is the, the funny part. So we'll start with this. What position do you feel best about heading into preseason camp, knowing that preseason camp is still two months away? I'd say the corners, because um, mm-hmm. you're you, that's one of the few. Correct me if I'm wrong. I can't think of another off the top of my head. Like you're returning both guys, Cam Ruiz uh, and Cam uh, Ruiz. Paul. Yeah, yeah, Cam Ruiz. Obviously, we know he dealt with an injury, but we were told that it's nothing that's going to impact him by, you know, by preseason camp, by fall camp. So. Uh, he should be fine to go on something super, super serious. So that's probably my position I feel best about is to return the two returning starters at corner. Dante, what about you? I'll go with inside linebacker. Um, so cutting out a lot of the guys that they signed for that um, that early signing period there. But um, I think, you know, you're getting Kobe Wilson back. Uh, you're bringing Jordan McGee back. I think, you know, those are two pretty solid football players. You're adding Jacob Hollins in, a Juco guy who looks like he's going to be at least getting some snaps in that room. Um, uh, Corey Yeoman's going to come in and as a freshman, it seems like he's pushing guys. So I, I like the linebacker room. I think that was a strength. You know, I think that was one of the strengths we identified at the end of last year. So I think, you know, I agree with Sam though, it's probably corner, but to, just to be different, I'll say linebacker. I think that's still a, a probably the second or third best group on the team. I, I would agree with corner. I mean, obviously that it, it's the easy part of it is yeah. If Cameron Ruiz is healthy, Keyshawn Paul healthy, they're in good shape there. It's, you know, now how does Dominique kill develop? Who's who's after that, you know, does, does Elijah Clark take another step? You know, that that's what's the depth that they, you know, that they build out behind those guys, you know, that'll be the, the interesting thing to, you know, to see um, the position you feel worst about. I think I'm going to go with the wide receivers. Okay. That's a good one. Um, I think Dante has said this before on the pod, or someone maybe has said it, but like Jose Barbones a returner. Um, Ahmad Anderson played like a spare. I don't want to say spare, like they played sparingly, but he didn't see a ton of time, a ton of reps last year. Uh, they don't have like a, they don't have a playmaker. They don't have like that guy. They're, they don't have like a go-to guy that they just like. You need someone to make a play. We're gonna go to this guy. Uh, I don't think they have that in that room. It's a it's a position group that in spring ball, Stan was very adamant that they were nowhere near where they need to be in terms of leadership, in terms of skill, in terms of production. So based on the knowledge that we have right now, and I, what was the name of the guy they brought in? Oh, the uh, from, they brought in? Um, from Georgia Tech. From Georgia Tech. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, Donica Sanders. Yeah, Donica Sanders. Um, I don't. I know almost nothing about him, so I don't know how much of an impact he'll be as of right now. At least, uh, how much of an impact he'll be right away. But th- that's probably the group I go with for the group I'm most worried about, just because of what we heard, saw, and gathered from spring ball and the training weight game. I I think that there's you could argue any position group on the offense, and I would be mm-hmm. like, yeah, sure, why not? I mean, like there, <laughs> no, because like seriously, like I there is like I have very little faith in in anybody on offense to be a consistent player, and it's not because like I think they're bad or I think they can't be. It's just I haven't seen it. There's no proof right. of concept from. Mm-hmm. 
anyone on offense except for like Adam Klein, you know what I mean? And like DMR when he's healthy. So like, you know, you're looking at a bunch of running backs. I have no proof of concept in that room. That would be wide receiver. Group. Yeah. Wide receiver is the same thing. I have no proof of concept at quarterback. So, um, I, I'm I'm going to say the offensive line is the cop-out answer just because like they probably looked the worst. Uh, and I think that, you know, one of the interesting parts of the, of spring practices was that Temple staff was kind of billing, moving guys around as only helpful. And I think that that only works when guys are capable of playing a lot of spots. And sometimes you end up screwing guys, a Miami Dolphins fan. Let me tell you, I know. Sometimes you only end up screwing the pooch more when you keep moving offensive linemen around. Um, There's so, a phrase I haven't heard. Before. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> and look, Chris Wiesahan knows more than I'll forget about offensive line play in my life. So I, I, I defer to him. But I, if they go into fall camp and they're still like, well, everyone's rep and center, that's not great, man. That is not good. You do not want four dudes rep and center going into fall camp. Like that is not where you should be as an offensive line. So that would be mine. Um, but I think you can make an argument for any position group on that side of the ball. There's just no proof of concept anywhere. Yeah. I'll go with the, I'll go with the backs. I mean, look, maybe Darvon Hubbard comes in and, and you say, wow, Hey, there's a reason why he was recruited to Texas A&M and he just needed the snaps. And I, I, I think we've seen what we've seen from Ed Sadie would be a, a solid backup at most places. We've talked about this I, per his Twitter bio, Iverson Clement now considers himself to be a defensive back. Who knows? I had the opportunity to interview Trey Blair when the day he signed on national signing day, terrific kid. I'd love to see him come around. We just haven't just haven't seen it. So I will go with the, I will go with the, the, the running backs uh, as well. Um, what do you position you feel worse about? What position have you been surprised by how much it's been addressed in the Stan Drayton era? This is tough because yeah. it kind of goes back to what you said earlier. It's like, well, the pretty much every position on the roster needs to be addressed in some shape or form. Um, I don't know. I, there I mean, was they, that. I mean, there was that Cody had where he. Ba- I mean, he was pretty. I don't think Stan in the limited time that we've been around him, I don't think he's performative. I don't think that he tries to be performative in either direction where I'm going to overly praise my guys. I'm going to rip them just to see if they respond to it. I think he's fired a couple shots out there. I think there was the day where he's like, I need to see more out of the wide receiver room. Like, Oh, all right. So maybe, but, but to Pat's question, how much it's been addressed. It's not like he was every day of availability. Wide receiver stink. Wide receiver stink. I need to see more. I need to see more. He kind of just like interspersed it a little bit. Um, I don't know. That's a tough one. That's a that's a good one. Sam, do you have anything for us here? The only thing I'd say is he when you to the point of the question of like how much it's been addressed. But I don't I don't want to say this is a surprise because it shouldn't be a surprise to address so much. Is like how adamant he's been about. You know, sometimes coaches will say like you know we'll talk about skill position players or linebackers or whatever corner safeties, but Stan has been very, very uh, adamant's not the right word, but like very keen on talking about both the offensive and defensive line. I think more so the defensive line at times. So in terms of position group that he's addressed a lot, I'd say either the offense or defensive line, probably leaning towards the defensive line. But I don't know if I'd say that's necessarily somewhere I'm surprised. Like I'm necessarily surprised about it. That's like half an answer. 
All right, so the final few minutes here, here is that we'll address the second part of Pat Egan's question. Biggest celebrity encounter you've ever had. I met, I myself met Stephen Baldwin, who was doing an autograph signing at a Subway restaurant. He was not a nice fellow and smelled like meatballs. When I hear smelled like meatballs, it makes me think of Elf, where Will Ferrell looks at, at the fake sand and says, you smell like beef and cheese. <laughs> All right, so Dante, Sam, biggest celebrity encounter you've ever had. I also, would have, like to know, I also would like to know what Stephen Baldwin was doing at a subway. That's interesting. That's a, that's a much better question. Um, I don't really have any, I'm going to be honest. Like I, I, I really don't, I'm, I'm really trying to rack my brain. I've like never had that. Like, Oh, I went into a restaurant and Shaq was there, you know, like I've just never <laughs> had one of those. Um, I, I don't, yeah, I can't think of it. My brother has a good one, though. I can tell his. That's kind of a cop-out answer, though, because I don't necessarily oh, have okay. one that comes to mind for myself. I met Mike Napoli, who was a ah, MLB ball player for Red a while. Sox. Yes. Yeah, I met him at Cubs too, uh, I think. Gulfstream Racetrack in Florida. There yeah. you go. That's pretty cool. What was the one? You, who did your brother meet, Tim? My brother worked at the Lego store in Rockefeller Center as a side gig when oh, – wow. Uh, he did uh, city year for a year in the Bronx, and then his side hustle was working at the Lego store in Rock Center. Love and Lakers. one time, um, would you like to guess or should I just tell you? Musician, uh, actor, actress, uh, Anne Hathaway. Good guess, but good no. guess because she lives in New York. Um, yeah. She was stumping for Hillary Clinton back in 2016, and a couple of our editors came back and said, "Yeah, I just got to meet Anne Hathaway." I'm like, "Hey." How about telling me she was out there? Would have killed to have met her. <laughs> um, uh, the, 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 Zoe Deschanel. I have no idea. Uh, no, Scarlett Johansson. Yeah. Wow. And my cool. brother said that everyone was like going crazy and like taking pictures or whatever. And my brother was like, that'll be 45 99 or something like that. <laughs> what, what my type brother of said he was Legos did she buy? Uh, I don't have the answer to that. I don't know. She's mm. with her kids. Okay. Um, um, Lego store and rock center is also unbelievable. Just an, just a spectacle of a store. I met, I'll try to keep this quick. Cause I know Dante has to run and we're going to close things out here. I met, uh, I met Eddie Vedder in Chicago, which was really cool. I was up there for a week uh, with my friend, Chris Silva. Um, and his parents had a place. They had just moved to Chicago and they were near Michigan Avenue. And, and it was around the time that Lollapalooza was there. And I'm a huge Pearl Jam fan. And we were saying, I wonder if we'll see any of the musicians around here. So we kind of gone around town all day. We're walking back toward the apartment that his parents had. And we're walking past, I think it was like the Four Seasons Hotel. And there's Eddie Vedder. I'm like, holy crap, it's Eddie Vedder. And Chris was like, should we go up and say something? I was like, yeah, why not? So, and I think like, we have been fortunate to interview some pro athletes. Like it's all relative. I'm sure people who write for like Rolling Stone and work at MTV, they're like, I meet these people all the time. It's not a big deal, but I dream about meeting some of my favorite musicians and I lose the ability to speak. So we walk up to him and Chris says something first and I had managed not to embarrass myself. And I said, Eddie, I'm a huge fan. It's an honor to talk to you. And he was so cool. He talked to us for about five minutes. Actually at one point he said, you know, I don't know you guys, this probably isn't as impactful for you guys, you know, cause I mean, Pearl Jam, you would like burst onto the scene in like the mid nineties when you guys weren't even born yet. But I mean, he, he had very intense eyes like the Jeremy video and he was so cool. And he was like talking to us for a few minutes. He's like, hold on, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. And he, he talked to us and could not have been cooler. Um, met him. And I also got to meet Craig Robinson. 
comedian. Mm, that's a good one. All sorts of stuff. Saw him at this Helium. What's that? The movie This Is The End. Yes. Um, which I did not see. But um, it's a hot commercials too. Yeah, he's been in the pizza commercials. He was hilarious. We saw him at Helium and he said, hey, I like to interact with my fans. Um, let's catch up afterward. And not too many people actually took him up on it. And so I went with some coworkers. This had to be more than 10 years ago. And uh, one of my former coworkers was just insistent. It, it, he wasn't the only person. I, I say this to people now and they're like, I don't see it. He thought for sure that I looked like Steve Carell. And Ooh. so he walks up to me and goes, Craig, this is, um, I'm introducing myself. And, um, and he, he goes, who do you think John looks like here? And he goes, I don't know. I don't know. He goes, I'll give you a hint. You work with him on the office. And he's like, I still don't see it. And he goes, doesn't he look like Steve Carell? No. And he looks at me and, and he goes, oh shit, man, you kind of do look like Steve. And he goes, <laughs> now look, I'm sure you probably don't want people thinking you look like the 40 year old virgin, but I'm telling you, Steve's a cool cat. And he just, he just went on for like a minute. And it was hilarious. I was just crying, laughing. He was so nice. He was so sweet and very, 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 very funny. And I, I think I managed to say to him, like the scene in Knocked Up, where he's the bouncer at the bar. I was like, I was one of the best, funniest scenes I've ever seen. But he was, he was really cool. So both cases, I managed to, I think, not embarrass myself. I'm always mindful. If I ever got to meet one of my favorite celebrities or musicians, I would be scared as hell that I would blurt out something stupid. So... <laughs> Sam, you do have one that you just thought of? Yeah, your first story, I don't know why, but it reminded me of one. When I was in, this is a very minor story, but when I was in eighth grade, I was in the mall with, I was probably with like three or four of my friends, and we're walking out, and I look to my left, and who's sitting on the bench but Avery Bradley. And they all kept walking, and I like stopped in my tracks, and I was like, that, wait a second, that's, and I go outside, I'm like, guys, I'm pretty sure I was Avery Bradley. And a couple of them like, who the hell is Avery Bradley? I was like, well, I plays for the Celtics. <laughs> I went back oh, in wow. and I got a picture with him. Uh, super nice guy. He was just chilling. Um, I think he was waiting for his girlfriend at the time or whatever. I don't remember. But uh, yeah, running into Avery Bradley in the mall. That's the first. That's the only thing. Is that like a major of. suburban Boston mall? Uh, no, it's uh, like super southern New Hampshire. It's the Pheasant okay. Lane Mall. That's the nearest mall to me. Like the Twin Pines. The twi- wasn't the Twin Pines Mall. The Twin Pines Mall that became the say what is it the single pines mall or something like that yes single pine whatever doc, doc brown was not there yes <laughs> as far as we know i had to throw in a back to the future reference so anyway thank you all for sticking with us and listening this week again a very happy birthday happy 33rd birthday to kyle gauss who hopefully is not predicting his untimely demise in his 33rd year on this earth as he said he's this is the year that chris farley and john belushi and nipsey hustle passed we hope that Kyle will live many, many, many more years beyond beyond 33. So um, thanks again uh, to all of you for tuning in and we'll talk to you next week.